It's Sunday morning. Time for the Great Outdoors with Charlie Potter. Brought to you by the all-new Chevy Silverado and ChevyDriveChicago.com on Chicago's very own 720 WGN. Welcome to the Great Outdoors Show. Charlie Potter, your host here on WGN Radio. Thank you so much for being with me. This morning's show, I hope you'll find of interest. We're going to talk quite a bit about conservation philanthropy or conservation giving. And then towards the end of the show, we might talk a little bit, if we have time, we might talk a little bit about the midterm election coming and what that may or may not mean for some some big conservation programs like the Farm Bill, the North American Wetlands Conservation Act, Bristol Bay, things like that. My guest today is Carrie Luft, who you've heard many times. Carrie Luft is Senior Vice President of the Max McGraw Wildlife Foundation, based in Dundee, Illinois, and Carrie is an authority on an awful lot of things in the outdoors, and particularly with his longtime career in journalism, which spanned really around the world, Carrie knows a lot about reporting on corporations and the good they do for the world. And last week, I talked about Yvonne Chouinard and what Patagonia had done and made some comments about, is this potentially the beginning of, of a new look at how corporations can be involved in conservation, not involved in climate change or global warming, but involved in conservation per se. So, Carrie, thank you for coming on this morning. I always love having you on the Great Outdoors Show. Um, feelings mutual, Charlie. Thanks. So you've traveled the world uh, in yeah. your uh, earlier life in journalism. You, you've seen impoverished countries and the ability of the private sector to help really change, change their lives. And you've also, in the United States, seen the great wealth we have and, and also seen the efforts of corporations. And last week, after I talked about what Yvonne Chouinard did, I said the politics aside of, of climate change, which was his motivating factor, there's something much bigger at stake here. So I, I couldn't really think, Carrie, of anyone better to talk to you about the whole holistic view of, of we're all in this together and, and some of the work that the companies have done, which never seem to get recognized, such as Orvis and Uline and, and Bass Pro and, and many, many others. So, Carrie, what do you think? Where, we, where can we go with what Chenard started? Well, let's just start, Charlie, with the with the realization that conservation is um, basically uh, wouldn't exist without private enterprise. You know, uh, most uh, land is controlled by private uh, stakeholders. We could not have many of the more effective conservation movements that we have, such as the North American Wetlands Conservation Act if it weren't the willingness of private citizens to support them and actually put their money behind them. So uh, Mr. Schornard's uh, move, while headline-grabbing, is pretty remarkable because he did it while he was still alive. Um, There are a lot of corporations out there that do give money to environmental cars, as you mentioned, Orvis. They give a a percentage of uh, of every sale to conservation. Bass Pro does it. Cabela's, uh, well, Bass Pro and Cabela's are together now. Um, the North Face, uh, you know, the clothing company, they were also a, 
uh, begin uh, a leading uh, leading conservation oriented company, uh, Esprit, uh, Columbia Sportswear. Granted, these many of these companies make their money off people like us who love the great outdoors and like their product. But it's they're doing this not just out of uh, uh, shall I say, cynical motivation, you know, surely it's good uh, PR for them. But, you know, many of them are doing it way beyond what they need to do to generate good PR. And in the case of Mr. Schwinnard, he's giving it all away, you know, and paying $20 million in taxes, something like that, in order to do it. So um, I, I, regardless of what you feel about his issue, I think it's rather inspiring that he uh, has done this. Well, I, I think it's unbelievable, and that's what I talked about last week. And and so, Kerry, does this? You, you mentioned you mentioned companies: Columbia household name, Orvis household name, Bass Pro slash Cabela's household name. These companies have been doing it for a long time, but not with a lot of fanfare. And over time, it's yeah. added up to real money. And your your comment about I'll, I'll call it the citizens conservationists. Um, what do those companies and Sh- and Chenard's company and, and Patagonia have in common? They're all privately owned. They're privately held. They're not publicly traded companies. So, if you look at at what's going on in America with with ESG and all of this, is there is there not a chance for a huge effort to have corporations of all stripes, publicly traded, private companies, look at sustainability and the environment as where they can invest resources because it's going to make mankind better. And I use mankind in the term of all of us better. Is, is, this, is this the beginning of a possible trend? And if it is, how does it get advanced? Oh, Charlie, I think it's, it's not just the beginning of a trend. I think it's, we're, we're well in the middle of that uh, trend because, you know, the, uh, this Orbis has been, you know, Orvis and others have been supporting conservation for quite a long time. This is a raising of the stakes in some ways. But, you know, I I think, Charlie, that for us to really make conservation uh, the household word that you and I believe it should be in America, we have to make it clear that conservation is good business. You know, and and if this is something that leads private entrepreneurs to say, you know, I'm going to do this not just because it's the right thing to do, but because this is a good thing for a lot of people, including myself, um, I think that's a really big step forward because, you know, conservation, as we've discussed before, is a first world issue. Third world uh, countries don't really have that ability because they're in more of a hard scrabble existence. We start thinking about conservation when we have some wealth as a society. Um, that's the case around the world. And as we grow as a nation, as we grow as an economy, there are going to be more opportunities. And I think, Charlie, that more and more people are going to recognize that this is a way to establish a legacy for themselves and to ensure a better life for everybody, not just themselves, but also their customers and the rest of the world. So you said something very, very precinct there, and that is um, 
There is no conservation without profitability. People on subsistence lifestyles don't practice conservation. They're just trying to live every day. So if, if well, you take and, that and point... Let's take, it, yeah. let's take it to another uh, thing. A lot of times people say, oh, you know, somebody with land, they ought to set aside uh, some of their cropland for wildlife. Well, that's easy to say, Charlie, but do we tell um, uh, factory owners to shut down part of their factory um, in, because it's good for the air? Um, no, we really don't. I mean, some, at times we do, but only if there are serious pollutants. I mean, it is, in my opinion, somewhat arrogant and short-sighted to expect private citizens to uh, support this solely out of the goodness of their heart. We have to incentivize them. And whether that's tax breaks or direct payments or whatever, private entrepreneurs and private landowners are the backbone of conservation in this country. The government cannot and should not try to compete on that sort of scale. I would carry what you just said, and this is something, Carrie, that we've touched on around the edges for years, but you're, you're drawing a circle at the bullseye. American agriculture has been expected to provide societal benefits through conservation with very little, if and often none, uh, finan no financial incentive to do so, other than they, they want to be good stewards of the land. And often they are forced to do so through regulation. So if society, and, and I've said this and you've said this for years, and I know Bill Cullerton 20, over 20 years ago said this, if society valued our land as part of what makes us a great place to live, we would look at landowners, agriculture in particular, and figure out ways to have agriculture be a part of the equation by incentivizing them to do good things. Because after all, farmers are paying taxes on the land. If it's growing corn, it's productive. If they sit there and have a wetland in it and they can't farm it, they're still paying taxes. So this whole thing comes back to what you said so well a second ago. We're going to take a break, then come back, and I'm going to talk about this and then the upcoming midterms. What you said so well ago, if society, if all of us decide that conservation and sustainability is, is important to our legacy, then we change the whole equation and we're all in this together. And corporate America, whether it be private or public or agriculture, we all, a rising tide, as they say, you know, floats all boats. And that's what I think maybe Chenard with Patagonia, Ivan Chenard with Patagonia has done. He, he has shined a light on this is not one person's problem. This is all of our issues. Right. And let's be fair. He's not the only uh, extraordinarily wealthy person to do so, to bring it full circle. We mentioned some retailers who are active in the in the uh, conservation world because they sell to hunters, anglers, hikers, etc. But, you know, among others, Steve Jobs uh, committed money. Um, there's a gentleman uh, named uh, Dor who just established a conservation-related uh, professorship at Stanford, I believe, um, and uh, Mike Bloomberg, uh, just to name another one, has given lots of money to climate uh, and ecological causes. So, you know, we need to celebrate these folks. Um, I don't, and uh, I, I hope 
uh, their example sh- uh, continues to drive people forward. Well, let's take a break and we'll come back. We're visiting with Carrie Luck, the Senior Vice President of the Max McGraw Wildlife Foundation. We'll be back in just a moment. This is Charlie Potter on the Outdoor Voices of Chicago and America, 720 WGN. And first, a message from our longtime sponsors, the Northwest Indiana and Chicagoland Chevrolet dealers. When sunrise is your alarm clock, life is different. You eat a ditch for breakfast. Love the smell of diesel in the morning with a hot cup of joe. The weather report is 40% chance of mud. And corporate pull, that's 36,000 pounds of towing capacity with a gooseneck trailer. Mudden is PTO. You know sometimes when the paved road ends, the fun begins. Chevy Silverado 3500 HD is waiting to run over something, anything. No road, no problem, because the best way out is always through. A trouble rides a swift horse, and you don't want trouble pulling a backhoe loader. Chevy Silverado HD is a wake-up call. Now, during Chevy truck season, get a $1,000 accessory allowance toward the purchase of a new truck with accessories. You worked hard for your money. Spend it smart. So see your Chicagoland and Northwest Indiana Chevy dealer today or go to ChevyDriveChicago.com for all the details. Chevy Silverado HD. Power up and experience life in HD. It's Charlie Potter and the Great Outdoors on Chicago's very own 720 WGN. Welcome back to the Great Outdoors show. Charlie Potter, your host here on WGN Radio. We're visiting with Kerry Luft of the Max McGraw Wildlife Foundation, and we've been talking about corporate philanthropy and individual philanthropy and conservation and what Yvonne Chouinard and Patagonia did. And, Kerry, we ran out of time before the break, but what I was going to say is there are many companies most of them privately held, that have done things maybe not as large as what just happened with Patagonia, and yet Patagonia seems to fi- be able to figure out how to get the, you know, the spotlight on them. And, and, and maybe the other companies don't want the spotlight on them. I don't know why, but you know, he, the goodwill he gets, and you think about what Orbis has done for years and the other companies we've mentioned, they, they just didn't run their name up the flagpole and say, kind of look at me. Um, but let's move on for a second, Kerry. We'll come back to this. I think it's not an issue that's going to go away. And certainly with your comments about agriculture and how we recognize private landowners own America. And if we want to have conservation, it's through working with private landowners that we're going to have it. Um, let's talk about the upcoming midterms, Kerry. Again, you're well-versed in, in this from your, uh, from your years of, in the field of journalism. Um, there's some big conservation issues that will be affected. There always are by elections, but particularly this time. You've got the 2023 Farm Bill. We'll start with that. You've got the North American Wetlands Conservation Act. You've got funding America, great, the great outdoors. You've got Bristol Bay. But let's just start with something we're going to be talking about in the, in the coming months more after the election. The Farm Bill, 2023. What, what's good or bad for conservation in the upcoming midterms? Well, you know, the the farm bill, the last farm bill was written in 2018. It expires next year. There's work being done right now uh, to start to uh, develop all of it. The, uh, for the purposes of our conversation, Charlie, the, the conservation title of the farm bill, which was inaugurated in the 1985 farm bill, is pretty much the biggest. I, I'm pretty, I'm, correct me if I'm wrong, Charlie, but I, I believe it's the largest uh, conservation program that the U.S. government funds. And what it does... In history, yep, in history. 
and it and it incentivizes landowners to take marginal lands out of production in order to protect uh, soil health and uh, and erosion and sequester carbon. And for those of us who like to tromp around in in mucky places or chase a bird dog, the the benefit to us are is enormous in terms of wildlife habitat. Um, that has been declining over the years. Um, again, Charlie, we get back to the conservation as business conversation. Uh, it's not been as attractive uh, when when commodity prices are high and they're long-term contracts. You have to take your land out of production for 10 or 15 years. So it's my hope and expectation that the next conservation title might develop some new flexible models um, for uh, conservation easements and and uh, easing of the requirements of CRP um, to let to make it more palatable to landowners. It's my hope that will happen because I, if I'm not mistaken, something about 10 million acres are scheduled to go out soon, just in the prairie wetlands region of um, the United States. So that is a big deal. Um, that would be about ha- that would be about half of the land that is in conservation reserve programs in the prairies. So, Kerry, what are, I guess we, we look at landowners to do this. We've incentivized them, but the incentives are not very attractive right now, are they? They're not. They're, they're not we're not being really competitive with, uh, cash, with cash rental rates. And again, Charlie, who in this economy, in this world, wants to place a 10 or 15-year bet, right? That's, that's just not a very smart play for anybody, I think. Um, so I can understand why the landowners are loath to take their crops, uh, to sign a deal to take their crops out of production for 10 or 15 years. So I would hope we could get some three-, four-, five-year programs that would do a lot of good, and frankly, Charlie, as, as you well know, that's the best time for habitat uh, benefits for uh, regrowth at, uh, for regrowing prairies. Uh, by the end of a ten-year period, it's time to do something else with the land because it's typically not as useful for wildlife anymore. So I'm hoping Carrie, we've got, that we got about thirty seconds left, Kerry. So I hope that happens. I uh, there will be a conservation title. Uh, Debbie Stabenow is the chairwoman of Senate Ag. She's been a big friend of CRP. We'll see what happens after the midterms if there's a change in the uh, majority. Well, thank you, as always, for your thoughts, words of wisdom. It's a great pleasure talking with you, Carrie Luff of the Max McGraw Wildlife Foundation. Thank you all for listening very much. We'll talk to you next week from northern Manitoba, on the Great Outdoor Show. This is Charlie Potter, your host on WGN Radio, the outdoor voice of Chicago and America, 720 WGN.